Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Our guest today is Reinvented Magazine founder Kaylee Looney. Kaylee is a rocket scientist working full-time as a mission analyst for L3 Harris Technologies, supporting their small satellite programs. She graduated in 2018 with a BS in aerospace engineering from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and is now pursuing her MS in space systems engineering part-time at Johns Hopkins University. Kaylee's Twitter bio reads, rocket scientist by day, editor-in-chief by night, and she does exactly that. Each night when she gets home from work, Kaylee changes hats and puts the hours in on Reinvented Magazine, which is the first ever print magazine written for girls in STEM. Kaylee is also a self-described space geek, avid Netflix binger, and French fry lover. (laughs) Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Kaylee. Hi, Emily. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. Well, the last time we interviewed a rocket scientist, it was Joan Melendez-Misner, who works for NASA. Mm -hmm. And she also described herself as a Netflix lover, which is so funny because we think of you rocket scientists as being so brainy that you couldn't possibly be watching, you know, like Tiger King. But it's just not true, is it? It's not. I watched that whole series like in the same same day. Advocated for it so much so that I got my whole family into it. And then I actually I live in Florida, so now my whole family says once COVID's over, we're all going to go give Carol Baskin a visit. But that, definitely not true. Uh, very big into the Netflix. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, let's start by getting the lowdown on you, Kaylee. Tell us where you're from. You said Florida. Did you grow up there? I did not. I actually grew up on Long Island up in New York. Um, I moved down here for school and then kind of just stayed because this is where the the hottest stuff in space is happening. So I actually live over on what most people call the Space Coast, about a 20 minute drive from Kennedy Space Center. I can watch the launches from, you know, right outside my front door. So wow, very cool. So when did you start getting into STEM? What made you interested in it? Yeah. So I will fully admit this was not something that seemed like destiny from the very start. If you go back and kind of you know, meet me when I was in kindergarten, even you know, the start of middle school, I was you know dead set on being a fashion designer. I watched Project Runway religiously. Mm-hmm. I you know was always talking my mom's ear off. You know, I dragged her to the mall once to meet one of the Project Runway designers. Like I was dead set I was going to be a fashion designer. And then you take one look at me and you know that like. That was absolutely not what I was going to do. My fashion style back then was was the kind of one where your mom lets you dress yourself on the weekends and then will lay your clothes out for you on the weekdays. And so when I got into sixth grade, that's when I finally got a chance to try out more STEM-focused classes. I just started middle school. I was about to you know, get into like earth science in eighth grade and all this. And so my mom was very quick to try and pull me in a different direction. She saw an ad in one of our local Girl Scout Council like 
programs, magazines type thing for a first robotics team that was being started by the local Girl Scout Council. And she pretty much dragged me by my ear and was like, you're going to try this. And if you hate it, you hate it. We never have to come back. But if you love it, great. And so I sat there and I was kind of pouting for the whole like first 10 minutes. And then the robots came out and they showed them on the screen and like they had some there with them. And I completely fell in love. I was like, this is really cool. Like, why didn't you show me this sooner, mom? My mom was an engineer. So I was really like, why didn't you show me this sooner? And she kind of just laughed at me and it was kind of history from there. I stumbled on aerospace engineering when I got into high school. I was trying to figure out, you know, I knew I wanted to do something in science and technology, but I wasn't quite sure what. I, all I had known was robotics. And so one of my special topics in science teachers was like, okay, well, you know, in this class, you do a special project every quarter. So why don't we start with, you know, robots? That's what you know. So the first semester we did underwater robots. I hated it. I didn't like that. And then he was like, all right, well, if you really don't like underwater robots, but we know you like robots, let's try the complete opposite. And he was like, what about robots in space? And I, again, fell completely in love with the idea of robots in space. And that's what kind of set me on that trajectory to go into aerospace engineering. It wasn't until I got to college, though, that I I fell in love with satellite design more than robotics. (laughs) Wow. So Girl Scouts was your initial entry, which is great Mm -hmm. to hear. What year was that about? So I did Girl Scouts pretty much my whole life. I joined my first robotics team in sixth grade. So many a year ago. (laughs) I'm just curious because, I mean, when I was in Girl Scouts, that was not what we did. So (laughs) I like that it's changed and that they've been doing. They've been doing. Actually, I joined Girl Scouts as first robotics in the very first year that they had hosted it. They had just gotten like a huge grant from, I think it was Motorola. And we were one of the like lucky Girl Scout councils that was asked to kind of pilot the program. And so I got to be exposed in sixth grade. And I I did that all the way through 12th grade on my all girls Girl Scout robotics team. Very interesting. And your mom was an engineer. What kind of engineer? Uh, She was a marine engineer. So she actually, she grew up in Ecuador, or she spent her first few years in Ecuador. And then um, her mom brought her over when she was around four or five to the United States. She actually wanted to be a marine biologist, but she her family was you know, more low income at the time and marine biology wasn't exactly the most stable field back then. So she ended up joining the Navy and went into marine engineering. So I grew up with aircraft carrier schematics like all around my house. She did all of, like the piping and the plumbing and um, some of like the piping design on all of like those large aircraft carrier ships. And my dad actually started off working on some of the mechanical design because they both met at, in college at the Navy, but we're doing stuff with the Navy on fighter jets that landed on those aircraft carriers. So very, very cool, which I guess could also be a reason why I went into aerospace. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you had those role models around you and that awareness about it. And now you're taking that further, not just for yourself, but you're bringing it really into the next generation, which we'll talk about that in a few moments. But I want to hear a little bit about your current job. You are working at L3 Harris Technologies. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like for you day to day there? Yeah, so you said a little earlier, I work there as a space mission analyst. So what that means is I mainly support the mission design and offer, not so much the operations, but the concept of operations for a lot of our small satellites. 
which are pretty much satellites that can you know, fit on like your living room table or your kitchen table, I mean. And so as a mission analyst, I do a lot of the constellation design. So if we have more than one satellite that's going up, I figure out you know, how are they going to be placed? What are their orbit parameters, like their altitude, their inclination, the degrees of separation between them? And then I also figure out things you know, on how much propulsion they or how much delta V propulsion they need in order to operate and you know, continue to maneuver and fix themselves once they're up in space. But one of the, the biggest things that I do is I get to see the system kind of from that bird's eye view, right? So I'm the one where, you know, I get to talk to the guy who specializes in power and the guy that specializes in thermal, the guy that specializes in attitude control. And they all come to me with their crazy ideas on how they need to fix a problem that relates to their specific subsystem. Then what I do is I do all the analysis at the system level to tell them, okay, well, if you need more power, power requires bigger solar panels. Well, that means that there's going to be more surface area, which can increase drag. So I have to make sure that the attitude control folks know that their reaction wheels are going to you know, get saturated quicker or whatever it is. And so I'm the one that kind of meshes what everyone else on the team is doing and make sure that everyone else understands how their decisions impact the system as a whole and the mission as a whole once the satellites are going to be in space. So you're busy. You're a little bit busy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know that moment in the movie Clueless where the boy is surprised Elle got into Harvard and she's like, what? Like it's hard? (laughs) Is that how you feel about your job or is it actually as challenging as everyone thinks? I don't know. I personally don't think it's challenging, but this is also like, this is what I love to do. Like I love being able to solve problems and I love the fact that the problems I'm solving are in space. And so I wholeheartedly agree that like my work environment very often feels like the Elwoods where I'm the the 24 year old Latina and like my bright colors and I go into work or I did go into work. Now I'm at home and I'm still the only one wearing the bright colors. Um, (laughs) You know, and I sit there in a room filled with you typically older white men who are like either doubting what I'm saying or ask me a million and one questions, trying to like get me to change my answer. Or, I don't know. Like every day presents a new challenge, both on the engineering side and the just general work side, but it very often does feel like the Elwoods in the room. Yeah. Well, let's talk about reinvented magazine. Well, okay. I'm about to date myself right now, but I don't care. It's worth it. (laughs) You might be too young to remember this. You said you're 24. But when I was in junior high, there was something called Sassy Magazine. And at that time, my friends and I were reading like Seventeen Magazine. We were reading Cosmo. And, you know, we were trying and failing at being like the women in these magazines and just meeting Mm -hmm. these ridiculous beauty standards. And then we discovered Sassy. And Sassy was this magazine that was all about the amazing things that we were really interested in. So it, it wasn't so much. It was like, like cool music and culture. And there was some environmental activism stuff. But it was aimed at us as teen girls. And that had such a huge impact on my life at that time. It changed my life. And now I have a daughter. And she's seven. So when I found out about Reinvented Magazine, I was like, finally you know, finally this exists. And and I just ordered, I just ordered all the back issues. And so I'm excited to expose my kids to that. So why don't you tell us, you know, what is Reinvented Magazine all about? Yeah, so Reinvented Magazine, we're a 501c3 nonprofit that is pretty much rooted in the idea of, you know, empowering the next generation of young girls to go into science and tech fields, or at least 
feel empowered enough to pursue their interests and their passions within them. And so it really did pretty much start similar to what you're saying. I grew up reading Seventeen magazine or Marie Claire, Teen Vogue. I read all of those things. And then I decided I wanted to go into STEM and, you know, I kind of stopped reading most of those. I flipped right to the back where like the trauma-rama, like those funny, embarrassing stories were and the horoscopes and that was pretty much it. And so when I graduated from college, actually, it took me pretty much this long to piece these things together. But I realized that like, that was it. I needed something to read kind of on my own self-care days. So it started very selfishly. And 17 just wasn't cutting it anymore. I couldn't read two pages worth and be like, yep, that's it. My whole self-care day is done, right? That's not how that works. And so I kind of just grumpily posted in one of my women in tech groups. And I was just like, why doesn't a magazine that like I actually want to read exist? Why doesn't a magazine about girls that look like me and do what I do for a living exist? And I was incredibly surprised about how passionate people were about the idea that this didn't exist. Overnight, this Discord server was started and I wasn't even the one to start it. And, you know, they threw me in and were like, okay, Kaylee, like, let's go, like, we're going to make this magazine. And I was like, all right, let's make this magazine. And now, you know, while we started as this kind of selfish thing to read on my self-care days, I really think that it's turned into something so much bigger than, you know, just me reading it with my glass of wine, right? It's turned into now this, you know, really inspirational 64 pages worth of role models, inspiring stories, and, you know, a push for girls to you know, pursue their passions that is now going pretty much all over the world to young girls, you know, everywhere. And so, you know, role models, like I said, it's a really, really big part of what we do. We believe that if you can see it, then you be it. And so being able to kind of do exactly what Seventeen was doing, you look at those kinds of magazines, you want to be the girls in those kinds of magazines. You want to look like them. You want to do what they're doing. You want to be, you know, popular or famous. You want to, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But Now we're putting them into fields like science and technology and we're showing them that scientists are glamorous. Scientists and engineers, you know, can look like however they want to look like while doing some really cool and awesome stuff. And so that's where we've grown in the last year and a half, which has been really, really exciting to watch. That is exciting. And I think it's so important, as you said, for girls to know that there are role models out there and if they can see it, they can be it. But I also think it's really important for boys to see this because, Mm -hmm. you know, these are the people that they're, that are going to be working together in the future. And we like, if you want to raise feminist boys, then you want them to get used to seeing women in leadership positions and it'd be a normal thing for women to be in STEM. So I'm excited for my little boy to be exposed to your magazine as well. I love it. Yes. Thank you. So what has reception been like? How have people been responding to the magazine? Oh, that I think has been one of my favorite parts. Back when we first started, I think it was around issue two, we actually had a mom that emailed us. And I'll admit, you know, our target audience is usually a little bit on the older end. It's high school, early college. But this mom was someone whose daughter was in elementary school. And she had bought the magazine for her daughter. And she, you know, like most elementary school girls, she had a curfew. And her mom emailed us saying, my daughter is reading this, you know, at like 11 o'clock at night under her sheets by like phone light, pretending that I don't notice. And I'm having such a hard time deciding whether or not I should tell her to go to bed or keep reading because I want her to keep reading, just not at 11 at night. And I couldn't help but like both laugh at how funny that was. But too, like I, I felt that right in my heart, right? Like this is exactly what we were trying to do to be able to create something that girls are like, almost like rebelling against their rules to read, but it's all about empowering them to go into these 
not very diverse currently field. You know, we brought me right back to this is exactly why we started this. This is exactly what we're fighting for. And since then, our audience has pretty much just grown. We started with about a thousand magazines that got shipped out with our first round. um, And now we have over 10,000 readers located in all 50 states and over 25 different countries. So while I don't always get those kinds of emails from moms all the time anymore, now that our audience has grown so big, we do get quite a few messages on our social media and we get a lot of pictures with us tagged with daughters reading and I love it. (laughs) That's so incredible. Wow. So it's global. Yeah, we actually, when we, we first started, we did a go, or kind of a GoFundMe, but we did it through Women You Should Know's Women You Should Fund platform. So uh, kind of a GoFundMe specific for women-centered, women-founded organizations. And so we ended up bringing in a global audience right from the start. We have first set of issue one magazines getting mailed out to places like Germany and South Africa and a lot to the UK. We have a huge fan base in Australia, actually, um, who love us a lot and are always constantly like commenting on all of our posts, which is really, really awesome. My team gets very excited when we get to add a new country to our map. Do you have like a physical map with push pins in it? I do here in my office. We're working on putting together a heat map to show on our website so people can actually see where our magazines are going because I think it's it's really, it's at least very cool for me and my team to see. I don't know how cool, you know, our readers think it is that our magazines traveled all over the world, but it's definitely a big milestone for us as a uh, an organization that pretty much started with like 15 dedicated volunteers and now is over a hundred and, you know, up to over 10,000 readers. Yeah, that's quite a lot of growth. Why did you decide to make Reinvented a nonprofit? I don't, I don't know if I've ever actually been, been asked this question before. I feel like to me, it's always been really obvious. I've never had any intention of profiting off of this. I've always just wanted to be able to make this give back and get this out to as many people as possible. So we never even had talks about turning it into something that wasn't a nonprofit. Right from the start, we were filling out you know all of the IRS documents to become a nonprofit. And I think we still really you know feel that way. We want to just get our magazine out there. We want girls to feel empowered, and we you know we don't want any of it to come you know back to us. We you know we don't really need it. We want to make sure that you know girls are getting the resources that they need to succeed. That I was lucky enough to get while growing up, but I know so many others are not. Yeah. Well, what have been your challenges for the magazine? (laughs) Oh, man, you're a founder, so you you know how it goes. So, so many. But I think that ultimately, with every challenge, we've been able to get over it. And it's always been so much better. But our first big one was funding. We started that Women You Should Fund campaign, and we really struggled. And it wasn't until like the last week that we had someone kind of do a big promotion on their own page that had a ton of followers. And we raised like almost the full 7,000 that we were looking for overnight. So that was kind of our number one. And funding is always, you know, constantly something that we're looking for. And we're really lucky to have a phenomenal donor base. Then it became the manpower. Then we had so many requests for magazines to get shipped all over the place or to get programs up and running, you know, just to make the magazine because it's, you know, it's a lot on a volunteer team. So then you know, we really sat down and focused on, well, how do we bring in more volunteers? How do we make sure our volunteers are you know, motivated and still excited to do what we're doing, even though you know, they're not getting paid? And you know, how do we make sure we're relaying the impact back to them? I think the latest one we're having is you know, we 
didn't start tracking our impact until more recently. So now we're trying to go back and figure out, you know, what our actual impact growth has been over the last few issues. We know where we are now and we know where we started, but being able to kind of pinpoint where we were in each of our big milestones over the past year and a half is definitely where we've been headed. In addition to, I mean, we are all volunteers. A lot of us are student led, right? So making sure that, you know, we have volunteers who you know understand the impact that they're making, volunteers who love what they're doing, making sure that like we're giving volunteers all of the freedom and opportunity to, you know, make reinvented into what they want it to be as well, which has been really incredible because that's what led us into the like virtual event space. But there's always something new that pops up. But I think now we, we finally have the manpower and we have a lot of passion behind it that gets us through just about everything. So you're 24 years old, and not only are you working full-time and in school, but you're running this worldwide nonprofit organization with a print publication. So I'm just curious about your leadership training. Is this something that just comes naturally to you, or did you actually have to you know, take classes on this, learn how to do it from maybe a mentor? How did you get there? So like I said, I was pretty much thrown into this role. Leadership is not something... or. I've always, like, I was, you know, the, like, the head of my robotics team and all that, but nothing that really, you know, held up to what I'm doing now. And so I learned a lot of what I was doing along the way. I do have a really amazing group of mentors and advisors where when I have questions, I reach out to them. I've had to endure some not so awesome feedback from my team. And, you know, and just, you know, I know that I can be kind of a control freak. I always, you know, I'm pretty loud in meetings, which tends to turn away some of my shy volunteers. And so I love being able to, well, I won't say love because I'm not sure anyone actually loves getting not so great feedback, but I've, I've learned to embrace that part of it and really like figure out how can I be better for my team, for my mission, for my organization. And that has indeed led me to, I just finished up. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Athena Next Gen Leadership Program, but I just finished up that, which taught me a ton, especially about communication, being able to listen more than you talk, which was, I think, one of the biggest things that I've had to figure out and I'm still figuring out. And so I'm still, I think, learning every day. I think I, I still have a long way to go, but I like to think that we're we're headed in the right direction with the organization. So, Well, you've talked a little bit about, you know, how you've struggled in the past with imposter syndrome. I read this in one of your articles. And, you know, many of us have learned from our culture, you have to be a perfectionist. Everything has to be just right. Can you talk a little bit about how you managed to overcome that or if you've overcome that? Yeah, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not sure anyone truly overcomes imposter syndrome. And I think that if you say that you have, I'm not sure I'd believe you. And I think that that's something that I, one, just comes with the field. I you know, I started in STEM and I was really confident for a really long time until, yeah, one first robotics competition. It was an all girls team, you know, us, and we were an alliance with an all male team. And they stood there next to us and were like, okay, we're going to do all the work. You girls don't know how to do this. So just let us handle it. And, you know, my first reaction was the heck no. Like, you know, I started with that confidence. And I think the more you hear the you don't belong by your male peers, the more you really feel like you are the imposter. And so I think that I've 
gotten over that a little bit and just being able to build back up my confidence and being able to find some coping strategies and those kinds of things. But there are definitely still those days where I absolutely don't feel like I belong in this field or I don't belong as near the head of my organization or whatever it is. But I think some of the things that have really helped me are one, making sure that you know who's in your corner and have you know those people kind of on speed dial almost yeah. uh, for me that one of those biggest people is my mom my mom you know I can call her pretty much any time of the day and tell her like I'm just not in it today and she'll tell me go make myself a virtual cup of tea and then she'll give me like an hour-long lecture on how great she thinks I am <laughs> which is good and she's my mom so I half believe her because she's family so <laughs> you know it's like are you lying because like you birthed me, but I don't know. So I do have others and mentors and, you know, I made sure I have support groups like NCWIT or there's like the Lady Storm Hackathon page or Hazard Girls where, you know, when I am having a bad day, having those support groups to kind of turn to and say like, I'm just, I'm having a really bad imposter syndrome feeling right now. Like, can someone just, you know, either remind me that I'm wrong or can like I talk to someone and having those people in my corner has been so, so important. I think the other one is just being able to recognize that feeling and being able to put the word to that feeling. I grew up, you know, going through college, I had never heard the word imposter syndrome. And so when that feeling crept in, I felt like I didn't belong or like I was kind of getting pushed out of this field. That's all that it felt like. I didn't have something to say, okay, no, this is imposter syndrome. This is like the exact definition of imposter syndrome. That's what I'm feeling. And it's a totally 100% valid feeling but it's also like a hundred percent false, right? Like it's because you do belong, whether you think so or not, whether you feel so or not. And so just being able to recognize the fact that like you're feeling when you feel like you don't belong, it has a name, it's called imposter syndrome and being able to say, okay, that's the way I'm feeling. I'm going to go make myself a cup of tea. That's my go-to or you watch a show on Netflix, whatever it is, and just walk away from the situation until you're head's a little bit clearer and thinking, okay, that was imposter syndrome. I'm feeling a little bit better now, or I feel okay enough to like talk to someone or get back to work, whatever it is, whatever works for you. But I think having the name and knowing that this is a real valid feeling that you shouldn't let take over you, but know that like you're valid in your thoughts is also, I think, so, so important. I so wish I knew that term when, back when I was in law school. Right. <laughs> hey, are you still selling your calendar? We are not, unfortunately. Um, we just closed pre-sales earlier this month. You can still go online and donate a calendar to a classroom, although though any donations after our closed date, we're going to go to classrooms starting next year, so next year's calendar. But we will have them again for 2022. So if you missed this year, definitely make sure you get yours next year. Oh, they are so beautiful. I encourage everyone to check it out. So tell us where everyone can find you. Where can people subscribe to Reinvented and where's the best place to get in touch with you? Yeah. So, okay. Reinventedmagazine.com. That should be kind of the number one. Go visit us there. Check out all of our awesome merch. Buy yourself a, a magazine and check out all the awesome programs and events that we're hosting. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook, Reinvented Magazine at Reinvented Magazine. On Twitter, we are at Reinvented Mag. Just started a TikTok like two days ago and I'll fully admit I don't know what our username is there, but I assume if you search Reinvented Magazine, we'll show up. And then if you're looking for me personally, feel free to just shoot the info at reinventedmagazine.com email. And I'm usually reading that, but you can also find me on social media, mostly on Instagram at Kaylee Looney. Awesome. And are you on Clubhouse? 
I am on Clubhouse. It's new and I'm not sure I totally understand, but it's been awesome so far. <laughs> well, Kaylee, we love everything you're doing because you're promoting diversity in STEM. You're making it more accessible and exciting for girls. You're serving as a role model, being a rocket scientist yourself. And not only that, but you're doing it creatively by putting this awesome print magazine out into the world. So congrats. We are really excited to see where this goes. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks so much for being a Hazard Girl. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.